welcome to Terragard, a world of adventure. Atos, come and face me! Of heroes. Elroy, jump! Of battle. Welcome to Terragard Tales, Season 1, The Lunar Sundering, The Grummerand, Part 4, written and narrated by D.S. Tierney. Bind the dragon tight, with even the smallest flaw, it can escape. Once bound, the dragon's magic can be siphoned off. As with all magic... There is a deep price. A watcher must be chosen, ever vigilant in their duty. The sensation of weightlessness gripped his body. Scarab floated above the outstretched hands. The pressure of magic emanating from them drilled into his back. The scraping of stone pushed aside ancient dust as they passed through a doorway. Keeping count of the turns was impossible, as the eldritch sickness in his veins robbed him of conscious thought. Not that he possessed a frame of reference of his whereabouts in the catacombs. Tarkoon would need to tell him. Tarkoon, he whispered, yet the old man remained silent. Where was he? Had he run at the sound of the decrow? Kinnaman may have even bound and gagged him, thinking he was an escaped plague. That would not do. A debt was owed to the Archipelagan. Scarab opened his mouth to say as much, but nothing more than a whimper escaped his throat. <sighs> Sleep came again. When he woke, torchlight illuminated a long chamber. Stone sculptures of bats hung from the low ceiling. Ancient iron hooks squeaked as torches were deposited in them. Scarab caught sight of the disparate refugee group huddled around fires burning in the rubble. Kinnaman, Wesley, and Jabor, three trusted lieutenants, tended to him, dabbing wet rags against fever-burned skin. A woman, her face hidden beneath a bush of black hair, whispered over the leather cuff. The tightness around his wrist relaxed and released the pain it administered falling away. Kinnaman helped him sit up, pressing a wooden cup of dark liquid, which he drank with shaking hands. He should be well before long, Margaret said as she studied the leather cuff. I have never seen one behave in such a way. A gift from Yingsen. I did not expect to find you among my flock, Margaret. Nor did I. But Yingsen, it seems, has gifts for us all. Help me to my feet. He needs rest, she said as Wesley and Jabor grasped his forearms. They paused, looking uncertain in who to listen to. I'll be fine. Now help me up. That was all they needed, and did as asked, giving Scarab a chance to look around. Two dozen to crow and a handful of pleagues milled about. Where is the old man? He won't get his hands dirty, Margaris answered. He has his dogs out hunting us. Not Yingsen. Tarkoon. Who? Kinnaman asked. 
the Archipelagan I was with when you found me. You were alone, except for the Chanticar. Impossible, Scarab breathed as he took a few tentative steps, clutching his cracked ribs, which he could feel mending by the intense itch in his side. Was Tarkoon part of the fever? That was impossible. He was in the cell with him before the bracelet activated, before he sickened. I'm told you have a spell that will take us from here. Margaris stepped beside him, inspecting his wounds and testing his forehead with the back of her hand. The local mortress. It'll take us far to the north, into the frozen lands. Perhaps that will be far enough from this madness. But I doubt it. Was it you? A reasonable question. Margaris knew firsthand that the idea originated with him, and we need the reassurance of hearing him deny the act of Armageddon. No, but Yingsen knows who did, and he's protecting them. Bastard, Kinnaman snapped. Can you manage the locomotives in this state? Basto pushed past those gathered. The slurring gone from when Scarab saw him last, but his eyes remained bloodshot and his shoulders sagged. I would surmise I'm in better shape than you. Scarab smiled as the young Philistine turned red. But it matters not. When Yingsen took me, he seized a box containing the orb needed to complete the spell. Do you know where they're keeping it? Perhaps we can retrieve it, Kidman. Always ready for a fight. That would be a bloody mess, Margaris answered. What choice do we have? They looked to Scarab, who felt his energy draining through his feet. He swayed and sat hard, the impact jarring his teeth as he bit a chunk of his cheek out. Hot blood flooded his mouth, and he leaned to the side, spitting it out. I told you he needed to rest, Margaris snapped as she knelt beside him. But Scarab waved her away. "'swatting her probing hands aside. "'Margaret shook her head. "'We need to prepare a defense,' Basto said. "'If we're not going anywhere, this will be where we need to stand.' "'The Philistines and Scarab's lieutenants walked off discussing plans. "'Scarab trusted the Falkieri to keep his interests in mind while he couldn't, "'unless Yingsen got to one of them. "'Anyone could be a mole for the judge above all.' Back to the hornet's nest, a lone cloquier said as he sat on a slab of broken marble to Scarab's right. Spiro, was it? A good memory. Sometimes. Scarab watched the frantic conversations across the chamber. Tell me, is the name Tarkoon familiar to you? Should it be? I met an old archipelagum named Tarkoon. He claimed to have killed dozens of the cloquier. Quite the boast. A false one, though. We lose a few each year, but it's been a long time since more than that were killed. But this Tarkoon was an old man brought in before the cataclysm. He said he was from Tree and Leaf. You! Spiro snapped his fingers at a plague standing against the wall. The girl was young, but not a child, and must have been newly caught. Those raised in Salnorans knew to never look at it a crow. You, no, 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 don't be frightened. Come and answer a question. The plague shook, looking to the others for guidance, but they cowered away, 
leaving her alone. Stepping softly, she approached, keeping her head down, but succumbing to the curiosity of looking. This is Rose. She was brought in before the world went to the rats. Rose, answer a question for my new friend. I will try. Her voice was soft, a whisper of flowers. What does the name Tarkoon mean to you? The, the Tarkoon I know was a hunter of tree and leaf who raised himself into a king. The youth of the tribes betrayed him to the... the Raven dwellers, Scarab answered for her. She nodded. Tarkoon, is it a common name among your people? No, it's been cursed for many generations. Many generations? Yeah, yes, it's no story passed from one old mother to the next. Scarab nodded. Thank you. Did that give you the answer you sought? Near enough. Scarab stood, swallowing the grunt of pain. His strength had not yet returned in full, but he couldn't afford to remain idle. What is the third law of spiritus? Came the echo of his mother's question. An unbound spirit will attack the weak, but a bound spirit will provide strength. That was the third law he struggled so to remember, bursting forth from his subconscious. Tarkoon was a bound spirit. Had to be. But bound by whom? Mother? That was not possible. Binding the ancient king before her death a decade earlier was not beyond her ability. But if she had, why did Tarkoon appear only now? Scarab believed this must be the work of someone else. Someone inside Yingsen's camp. Or even someone counter to Yingsen. Whoever it was, Mother knew he would need to recognize the spirit. The lesson she taught became ever more important to remember. Yingsen and his hunting parties will discover us before long, Margaret said her back to Scarab as he approached. And then we will die. Carrado, a short cloquier wearing the permanent squint of someone who spent years in the sun. That is incorrect, Scarab answered. We are not performing the locomortress, but that doesn't mean we're doomed. Their eyes turned toward him, cupped whispers traded ears but all quieted under the glare of Kinnaman, who took his place on Scarab's right. And what would you suggest? There are things of great power deep below. Yingsen knows this and seeks them. We will get there first. Turn the tables. You want us to stumble through the dark, looking for discarded relics in the hope that one will be powerful enough to defeat Yingsen? Scarab couldn't fault Basto for voicing the opinion, but he didn't care for it either. We would be leaving ourselves exposed. No. Margaris narrowed her eyes and smiled. He knows where something is. Don't you? Yes, the Grummerand, Scarab thought. He let the silence play out, hoping that someone in the crowd would say the name and expose themselves as a mole but no one did. I do, and we'll need to descend to the sunken sea. Silence. Then Margaris belted out a laugh. (laughs) 
Others joined in, but they sounded nervous, on the edge of madness. The sea is a myth. I assure you, it is not. And what evidence can you provide to that end? Stupid Philistines, Wesley snarled. It's a prudent question. We can continue the debate the origin and veracity of his knowledge, or we can remain here and die, Spiro said as the other cloquier formed at his side. Interesting. Scarab would never have thought Spiro to be a leader in their caste. How many must go with you? Everyone. And if we don't agree, Basto added, still unwavering on his position to remain. Then you'll die, Margaret said. Or be dead by the time we return. With her now on his side, those unconvinced came around. How far must we go? Many of the tunnels have collapsed. Scarp limped over to the stone walls, seeing a room with one's mind and with their eyes were opposing experiences. Imagination filled the blanks hidden by darkness, and the picture it painted was inevitably different from reality. The walls, though, they didn't lie. And as Scarab felt the stone, listened to its story, he understood where they were. The journey is far, but there should be a way to bypass much of the destruction. The Grey Sepulchre. Moons above, Corrado said. You speak of one myth and follow it with another. <laughs> There's only one moon now, Kinnaman laughed. Reject what you believe to be myth. From my experience, very little actually is. But we must be cautious. There are things at that depth worse than you can imagine. Wonderful. The desperate remainder of the crowd who would not follow Yingsen gathered round. Two Philistines, four Cloquier, seven Falkieri, a Chanticar, a one-armed warrior cultist and thirteen plagues. No judges, and no necromongers. None of them knew, but all felt on some subconscious level that when this journey was done, there wouldn't be castes or social divisions, just twenty-eight survivors trying to make a new life. Torches were extinguished and replaced with creeping lights that could be dimmed or brightened as the caster required. Kinnaman took the lead with a single-file snake trailing out behind. Scarab needed the time to focus. How will we know the Grey Sepulchre? It is flanked by two stone dogs and a golden woman laying upon the mantle overhead. I've scouted these halls, Corrado hissed. I've seen nothing of the sort. I must bring it to us. It is not a fixed place. Corrado opened his mouth, but Jabor smacked him and held a finger to his mouth. Shh. Remaining silent was difficult. Reaching their destination without attracting attention or happening into a hunting party? Impossible. But this time would be different. Scarab was no longer hampered by the inhibitor and able to bring the full weight of his magical power down on anyone. Around the corner sat Tarkoon. A glow orb cradled against his chest. The Archipelagan's clothes were torn and bloody, his body a map of bruises. As he heard Scarab, he looked up, tears of blood dripping from red eyes, and he reached out with a shattered hand. I 
I'm here to... Scarab did not let him finish. He jumped at the spirit, wrapping his hands around the wraith's throat. What madness is this? Scarab. Angry, he punched the old man while asking, Who sent you? Who was it? Kinnaman pulled him back while he and Jabor held him. Margaris looked into his eyes, feeling his forehead once more. What are you doing? The Archipelagan. The spirit. He said, nodding toward Tarkoon, but only Scarab could see him. Whispering the word, Kamasti. Margaris sent a mist of energy around Tarkoon. The Archipelagan spirit appeared and then vanished. Who is that? Margaris whispered as the light disappeared. Someone playing a game with me. Tarkoon looked up and continued speaking. No games. I could take you to the Grey Sepulchre. Hearing the spirit talk of their destination chilled him, but he would allow this to play out further and through observation discover who was behind the spirit. No longer would he play in someone else's game, but force them into playing his. Nodding for Tarkoon to take the lead, Scarp followed and waved the others to fall in behind. After a handful of tunnels, a wet sound, not unlike an open-mouthed slurp or spit of saliva, rasped through the hallway. A translucent green hand appeared from the wall and gripped the stone below. A second hand emerged to grip the stone above, and pulling itself, it birthed a skull of hanging flesh and rot into the world. The undead spirit stepped onto the floor, struggling to free its other leg. Margaret ignited red fire with a wave of her hands and threw it at the thing. With an otherworldly scream, it burst into flame, turned to ash, and disappeared. Necromongers. Margaret prepared another flame as she spat the word. Scarab did not answer. Indeed, it looked like a conjuration of the amorous incant, but he hoped it was only something dredged up during the cataclysm. A lone spirit. In mocking response, more hands appeared from the wall. Dozens of them. The back of the line stretched around a corner, but their shouts confirmed the ghouls assaulted them there as well. It is just ahead, Tarkoon said as he ran. Follow this light, Scarab commanded, sending his orb to follow after Tarkoon. While the procession ran past, he hurled great streaks of crimson flame at emerging spirits. He wouldn't need to hold them at bay for long, just enough to get everyone past. Kinnaman fell in beside him, adding to his strength. Go, I have this. There isn't a chance in Parsi that I'm leaving you here alone. Kinnaman laughed, taking great delight in the mayhem. The last of the line ran by while the two falchieri walked backwards, filling the cramped hall with an inferno's blaze. The tide of ghouls refused to ebb. Hands, legs, and screaming heads clawed their way free of the walls, floors, and ceiling. Where their putrid green fingers touched, the stone turned slick with ice, and when their ethereal hands passed through flesh, it burned, leaving behind frost-bitten markings. Flashes of fire lit behind them, Scarab glanced over his shoulder. Everyone who could cast was doing so, 
The ghouls assaulted them along the length of the hall. The line has stopped moving, Basto shouted. Hold them back, my friend, Scarab patted Kinnaman on the shoulder. Weaving through the halted line proved challenging. Scarab dodged the grasp of emerous ghouls while ducking below focused blasts of fire thrown at them. The cloquier protected the plagues, who were woefully defenseless against the threat. The one-armed warrior cultist conjured a flaming arm and used it to crush any ghoul who got too close. The Chanticar was not so lucky. Crushed beneath the heavy hand of death, his flesh blackened and crumbled to dust as the ghouls dragged his body into the wall. Weakly clinging to life, he raised a shaking hand for help that could not be given. There was no point in making the effort. The saliva in his mouth froze as his eyeballs cracked. Scarab moved on, not even knowing their name. Wesley, why have we stopped? The stool won't budge, the Falkieri called back. Scarab pushed past Basto and shot a fireball at a ghoul reaching for Wesley. He smiled at Scarab and continued trying to muscle his way through the door, ramming it with his shoulder. Margaris lingered beside him, touching the wooden surface as blue light emanated from her fingertips, a sign of delving. The locks have a mind of their own. They keep fighting me. Scarab reached his hand between them and touched the wood. Wesley, stop that and help them fight. No amount of bashing will open this door. The Grey Sepulchre's door was an ever-shifting puzzle, requiring sacrifices or offering riddles before opening. The needs changed on a whim. The door possessed a degree of sentience, and when in a disagreeable mood, would not open at all. Now appeared to be one of those times. Margaris, can you hold Harper's wheel? I think so, she replied and began making the gestures. Aldecrow had some skill in performing the spell. It was maintaining control of the wheel once called upon that took considerable effort few could manage for long. Scarab tapped the door along the jam in three distinct spots. A flash of white light dripping with sparks burned fast and died. The door audibly sighed, <sighs> shook, and swung open. In! Everyone in! Scarab held the door, which pushed against him, wanting to close. Margaris, keep holding the wheel, or the door will slam! Already it was in danger of doing so. The procession came through, some running, most limping. Wesley and Jabor stood beside the stone dogs, throwing fire at the ghouls. Who were they still waiting on? Kinnaman! Scarab relaxed his hold on the door, looking into the hallway. Kinnaman stood alone against a sea of ghouls, his skin burning from icy grips as the swelling wave rose to consume him. No! Letting go of the door entirely, he tried to reach his friend, but Jabor took hold of his collar. It's too late! He's gone! No! The door swung hard, knocking Jabor's grip loose. Scarab ran, hearing the sickly scream from behind as Jabor's leg shattered. Flaming lashes dropped to the ground. Whips of incandescent flame fueled by rage and fear 
Scarab struck out, eviscerating the ghouls in his path and those around the fallen Falkieri. Kinnaman shook, his skin the ice of a winter's blizzard. Scarab scooped him under his arms, dragging him back. Unable to throw flames, the ghouls grew in number, crawling over one another to get at them. Scarab's back pressed against the door, still held open by poor Jabor's leg. Others tried their best to pry at it, but it didn't budge. In a few more moments, the ghouls would devour them. A glowing blue hand gripped the wood, pulling it open. Jabor's leg disappeared inside as the warrior cultist screamed with the effort. The man now sported a blue arm, struggling, but he pulled and held the door long enough for Scarab to drag Kinnaman in. Then it slammed, shutting the ghouls out. The gray sepulcher would offer them a moment to rest and lick their wounds. Its door could keep the ghouls at bay. Its walls would keep more from spawning. That was the power of this place, though dwelling here too long opened a new set of problems. The sepulchre required a toll for its services. Walking past the panting, crying survivors, Scarab set his eyes on a desk at the back of the octagonal room, a nondescript thing with a solitary book and quill resting in an inkpot. All that was missing was the room's guardian, a small creature named Gulo. Odd for Gulo to be absent. You had a good run. I applaud the effort. Chains so dark they devoured light extended from a shadow edge of the room, forming a cobweb of crisscrossing steel. Further tendrils grew to form intersecting strands, and loose ends wrapped around each person. No matter what they did to stop it, the chains moved faster, held stronger, and thought smarter. When everyone except Scarab was bound, an old woman appeared. Hello, Hattie, he said without looking. No one else could have accomplished this. She was not just a necromonger. Hattie was the necromonger and wife to Yingsen. Let us end this foolishness, she said. I would hate to kill them all. Would you? <laughs> well, killing some would suit me fine. The chains flicked toward him, but could not break through the aura of the desk. Did you harm Gulo? Harm? No, she said as the little creature climbed onto her shoulder. I just made him a deal first. Scarab chuckled as he grasped the feather quill and flipped open the book. If only you knew how this room truly worked. The sensation of rushing fire throughout his body was immediate, as was the effect signing the book had on the entire room. The conjured chains evaporated. Hattie screeched as she tried to reconjure them. But nothing happened. Margaris... Darkness in her eyes stood and gestured. Magic won't work, Scarab called out. The pain he was experiencing was worse than the bracelet. Tie her up! Grab that rope and gag her! The room lurched as the walls shifted. Everyone froze, looking to Scarab, who nodded for them to proceed. When Hattie was confined, Margaris knelt and put the bracelet Scarab once wore on her. The necromonger did not appear pleased. 
What is happening? Spiro asked, watching the walls. We're going down, deeper than any decrow in a thousand years. Gulo scampered over and climbed onto his desk, inspecting the book. No hard feelings, he said. A deal's a deal, Scarab answered, knowing the one he made would cost him everything. The Watcher will attain immortality of a sort. By devouring power, they continue their duty. By consuming life, they extend their life. Who among us does not wish to live forever? And what is immortality against the life of a dragon? Thank you for listening to part four of The Grummerand. Please join us next time for part five. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment. For additional updates, follow our website at www.dstierney.com or on Twitter at dstierney1. If you'd like to help support and see the podcast grow, Consider joining the Terror Guard Tales community on patreon.com slash terrorguardtales. Terror Guard Tales, all characters, locations, stories, and content are copyright 2019 and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.